Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. On episode 8 of the Green Street Hammers podcast, Adam, Jeremiah, and Jeff talk about the impressive 10-man draw earned at Leicester City and the awful cup performance against Spurs that followed. We touch on passenger players that we want to see go and end with a Burnley preview. Keep it locked on the Green Street Hammers podcast. All right, welcome to the Green Street Hammers podcast. This is episode eight. We are down one pillar today. Uh, Usually we have all four of us. It's myself, Adam, with Jeff and Jeremiah. We are without Scott, who's out sick. I hope you feel better, Scott, and uh, we hopefully won't get too far off the uh, tracks without you reeling us in like you have for the previous seven episodes. But guys, how are we doing today? How are we feeling? I think we're doing better than Scott. I think Scott has a case of uh, either the, uh, the cup flu or the West Ham flu. Either way, yes, I think a lot of the guys in the team have say, it too. Yeah. It's uh, it's it's kind of troubling times. I don't know. I, to me, so I guess the context is we come off of a ten man hard fought draw where we were clearly the better team, at least in defending, uh, than Leicester was, and we come off of that sort of it was almost a galvanizing effort into uh, a cup match against Tottenham, who were notably light. Uh, they still had Deli Ali starting, Christian Eriksen. Hunman's son, uh, but they didn't have Trippier, they didn't have uh, Harry Kane, so they were not their first team, and it's so deflating. A 3-1 loss, but uh, we'll, we'll get to that one in a second. We'll start off with the Leicester match here. There's been so little time in between uh, those two matches that we can sort of do a double recap. So, Leicester City away. For context for, for where I was for this match, uh, I was out seeing a wedding venue and putting down a deposit on that, so I was nearly in tears with the amount of money that these things cost. Uh, I was getting phone updates and I was, so I saw the goal and then uh, I looked down at my phone again and I saw Noble sent off for a red card just uh, like 10 minutes afterwards. And I, I was so out of, like I had no context of the game, what had been happening and rushed home. I had the game recording, but I got home in the 77th minute and was able to see, I guess, the worst part of the match. But what do you guys think about it? Jeremiah? How, how did how did the whole match feel overall to you? You know, it felt good. It started out good, and I wasn't off, you know, dropping a fortune on a wedding venue like yourself. But <laughs> sitting in the uh, living room wrangling up three kids as I tried to watch it at the same time oh got gosh. a little hectic. But but we started out good. I thought, you know, in the goal when the goal came, I thought to myself, all right, here we go. This is potentially 
going to be the match. You know, we can turn it around. I know last week I called it a uh, must win. And uh, so I was feeling pretty good about it. And then, like you said, 10 minutes later, you know, the red card happened. And, and I do, I know there's a lot of criticism going both ways with the red card. I do believe it was, you know, it, it was a decent tackle, but with the cleats up and everything, I, yeah, I kind of, I couldn't really disagree with that too much. But even though, you know, you said towards the end of the game, when we kind of let that goal and the typical West Ham goal, like, you know, 89th minute, 90th minute type of deal. Other than that, I thought, uh, I thought we looked well. Um, and I'm sorry, were you, you had something, Jeff? I was going to say in a, a typical West Ham way, it was a deflection. It wasn't even like a straight goal into the back yeah. of the net. You know, it was just one of those fluky things. It wasn't even a good goal. Yeah, I didn't even, I wasn't even really paying attention. I saw the shot. I saw the block. And I just assumed it was going over the net. And then I think everybody assumed it was going over the net. As soon as Fabianski froze, I was like, oh, come on. Please go wide. Please go wide. <laughs> like, no. No. But, yeah, it, other than that, man, I thought we played a really solid game defensively. I mean, we had to. We played over half of it just down to 10 men. And, uh, you know, it, it was the way that Leicester attacked. You know, they had 21 shots on goal. Or, I'm sorry, seven shots on goal, 21 total. They had 60, 60 plus percentage of the possession, and uh, you know they just kind of really controlled it. Which obviously we were playing defense the majority of that, but our defense really stood their ground, even at the end. You know that goal doesn't count. But uh, the one thing I was impressed about, and I know I talked about the week before, was uh, just trapping them offsides. I think they had seven oh, offsides. Masterclass. Uh, that was that was it was beautiful. So to see what happened, you know, just yesterday. On Wednesday was uh, disgraceful. That was beautiful to me. It was one-one draw, and but it was an outstanding match overall to me. Yeah, I think the, the to me it like really got going after the red card because you see a player get a red card, whether it's on your own squad or on the opposing squad. If it's on someone else and we're playing someone, that you think, oh, they got a man down. We're going to win this game. We're going to score one or two or whatever it's going to take. So when Noble went off, I thought, okay, well, crap. Here we go. We're going to be a man down for over a half. Pellegrini's probably going to make some defensive changes to start the half, and we're going to be lucky to hang on to this thing, but this is probably a loss. We're probably going to lose this thing 2-1. to one. So I agree with what you said, Jeremiah. It was a draw that felt like a win, and especially in the way that we defended in the second half. And I have to say, I was really surprised when we came out to start the second half and he didn't make any changes. I thought for sure the first sub was going to be at 45 minutes, and he would have changed the shape or changed the tactics or whatever, but he waited like a normal match, quote-unquote, till the 61st minute to take Chicharito off and put Antonio on. And I thought that was an interesting move by him, but it seemed to work. And really, the goal was so fluky, but it, you saw it coming, and you know that at some point when you're a man down, something like that it has to give. But I, I thought overall it was a great defensive effort. And I think one of the things that Pellegrini has really brought to the squad, and I think you saw a little bit with Moyes to the end of last year to keep us up, we had shipped so many goals over the last calendar year, going even back to Billich, which is why he got the sack. To, to see us be able to defend and being able to stop goals and stop attacks, starting with Fabianski and then to Diop and Belbuena and that partnership, it's really, really helped. Now, I have a lot of hot sports opinions on the other end of the pitch where we can't score that we could probably get into, but I just think for this match against Leicester, coming out of this thing defending and coming out of it with a draw, being a man down, it really was a galvanizing effort. I thought we played great, and I was feeling good about things despite the fact they gave up the goal. I would have felt worse 
if we would have given up the goal, you know, at 60 or 58 minutes or whatever, and then you're really in trouble because you're trying to defend that extra time, you know, to, to lose the full three points and to come out of there with a point I, I thought was a big positive. Yeah. And, and to add to that too, I feel like for the first, for me, for the first time all season, it really felt like everybody out there was playing with heart. They had pace. They were all kind of playing together. I mean, even Antonio, and I'm not really on team Antonio at all, but he, he had a lot of good pace and he was, he was really the only attacker that we left up. And, you know, there was times where he almost took on three, four guys on his own and almost scored. Uh, so to me, it was good to see that this game. Yeah. And, and I have to go back to something that, that Jeff said, and that was uh, about the substitutions, which I think links right to what you were saying there, Jeremiah, uh, with sort of the, the skill and speed that we played at, despite having really only one committed forward on the field. Uh, and and that's such a, a big vote of confidence, I think, for Felipe Anderson and for Grady Diangana to not come mm-hmm. off at the half and basically say, all right, you're you're no longer wingers. You're going to be like deep midfielders, and you're going to basically be taking the 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 flow of the game down the wings, trying to find that forward, but also covering covering back and helping sort of with that defensive coverage. And you eventually did see. Uh, those players taken off and Chicharito, he, he helped for being a guy who relies on a secondary striker or a primary striker. Uh, he was, he played really, really well in that match, chasing balls down, actually looking like he wanted to be out there and 61 minutes was probably, excuse me, probably longer than he wanted to be on the pitch doing that. He probably wanted to be on there for, for taking off as soon as Noble was, but Antonio comes on and brings that speed, but uh, yeah, he Antonio played well, Chicharito played well, and actually, and it makes sense if you think about it, Arthur Mazuaku played pretty well too, coming back into the starting lineup. He started out as just a standard left back, but then got moved to a left wing back after they brought Cresswell on, who walked into a back three basically, uh, with Zabaleta out on the right side and, and then uh, Mazuaku on the left. They weren't attacking down Ma- Mazuaku's side, which is peculiar to me. Um, but I guess with Ben Chilwell uh, being your your most attacking fullback, it, it's it's easier to just sort of commit down that one side. Um, but yeah, like the team played well together. They looked defensively drilled. Mazuaku wasn't getting caught not stepping up on the offsides that Jeremiah brought up earlier, which was really important. And you could see sort of that switch in team thought and, and team emphasis on as a unit. The back line is a unit, whether it's four or five, step up together, cover back together. If some, if one person follows someone to, to try and make a tackle, the next man up steps in, share your coverages, talk. And we can sort of, there's not much else to really say about Leicester, I don't think, unless you guys have something else that, I, that I'm missing here. Strong defensive game. Uh, they, they gave them all they could. Fluky goal that went in. The eruption from Leicester City w- with the with the fans celebrating that goal that went in was kind of funny. Um, <laughs> you think you would just sort of like oh, nod your head, we got our point, let's let's get out of here. But man, it sounds like they won the league again. Um, but yeah, it, it was a hard fought game. Twenty one shots uh, towards the goal, only seven making it on target. Again, is I think it, a, a testament to West Ham being defensively drilled, getting in those shot lanes and, and keeping their shots to non-dangerous areas or angled areas because they, they obviously weren't making it on target. So that was good there. I do also, I mean, it, it's everyone's talking about it. The the scenes after the match with the owner of, uh, of Leicester City, I, I can't say his name just based off of my own verbal limitations, but terrible stuff there. You never want to see anything like that. But I, I, it's really impressive how everyone sort of came together afterwards. And, you know, football aside, that's a tragedy and, and you know, Thoughts and thoughts and prayers go out to everyone who's affected by that because 
he that, that was a person who was bigger larger than life in the football world was he not mm-hmm. oh yeah he really was yeah we no. will uh we will we'll jump ahead here and uh it being the day after Christmas when we're recording this, we can sort of maybe after Christmas, sorry, after Halloween. I'm, I've been listening to Christmas music all day, guys. I'm, I'm fully into it, um, despite the rain here in Toronto. But uh, <laughs> the uh, after Halloween, we're one day late on it. But the Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde transformation of those three players we talked about, Chicharito, Mikel Antonio, and Arthur Mazuaku to this cup game was shocking. 3-1 Spurs. They this. Tottenham didn't even play that well in this game. They were just handed the first two goals. Actually, they were handed all three goals, really. But, man, that was just such a deflating effort. I, I agree with you. Going into the match, I was like, when I saw, especially when I saw our lineup and I saw their lineup, I thought, okay, I like this. If this West Ham squad can't beat this Spurs squad that's out on the pitch today, well, then I don't know what it says about us. And I guess I'm going to be eating crow off that statement because... You willed it into existence. Yeah, I guess I did. <laughs> and, I, you know, and then the other thing I, I said and right off the top was the first corner that we had, Felipe Anderson, did the exact same crap he did a couple weeks ago and he put it you know, a yard off the pitch right into the wall. It was terrible. I have and a question I, about that. Can I, can I jump in real quick and ask a question yeah. for you guys' opinions? That has to be something they're trying to do in training in the training ground, does it not? I thought about that too, yeah. and, I, and I say as the game goes on, like yesterday, all of our corners and set pieces are creative. We're trying a lot of different things. Like we're trying that thing where the two guys stand over the ball, one kicks it short to the other one, and then kicks it in for the cross. Mm-hmm. We're doing things on the corners where some are short corners and some are, are, are not, and I think our creativity overall is great. I just don't think Philip Anderson has any part of it. You know, I mean, I don't, I don't understand it at all, but not to go off on that because <laughs> I just thought on paper – we looked like we were game for it, and we looked like we were up for it. And I thought especially the first part of the match, 10, 15, 20 minutes in, up until really they scored the first goal that was so deflating, we were on the front foot, and we looked like we were ready to go. And I just don't understand how we went from that. I mean, I understand it. It was just so bitterly disappointing to go from that to losing 3-1 to one at the end of the match, it's just was so disappointing. And I think, you know, Adam, you brought up some of this on green street hammers and I totally agree with you. Some of these guys just acted like they didn't want to be out there. And I don't know why, because it's a league cup game. It's not a premier league game. Is it because they just played on Saturday and they were tired or they don't care? I mean, something had to be happening that we don't know about in the matter of three days to see the effort change like that. Yeah. That's a very good point. Uh, I think that, that you brought up there is these players who didn't look up for it. Um, I, the one is Chicharito that sticks out to me. I sent out a tweet from the Green Street Hammers account. It was just uh, just after half, I think, or just before half. And it was nearing the 45-minute mark. And uh, we we were sort of pinned in our own end. And they were passing the ball around with their center backs, getting their, uh, getting their fullbacks involved down the side of the pitch. And Chicharito and Antonio were standing up top near the the halfway line and they were basically walking around or standing still. I I did reference them standing still. So what this so okay, let me let me look here. West Ham were down 2 nothing at home to their rivals and Antonio and Chicharito are standing still. Both looked deflated and not up for it. Uh 
that got that got some traction there with people liking and retweeting that as well. And it just it was so obvious they were passing the ball around them. If they either of them were up to a trot, they could stick their foot out and sort of take the ball away of any of these plays, or at least pressure them into making something different or a different have to make a more challenging play. Both of them just look completely out of it, and it's such a far cry from the insane levels of effort both of them were putting out three days before that or four days before that. I don't get it. And then you contrast that with a couple of the guys that were giving effort. I mean, Declan Rice, to me, it's a no-brainer. We could talk about Mm -hmm. him week in and week out now. I mean, Robert Snodgrass was left for dead by a previous manager and the chairman, and this guy has been nothing but a pro every time he stepped out on the pitch this year. He's earned everything that's come his way, and he is hustling out there left and right. Uh, Grady Dianga, he looks awesome. I mean, yeah, okay, he's young, but he doesn't look scared. He doesn't, he doesn't look like one of these players that's out on the pitch but that doesn't want the ball to come to him. He's actually trying. And so when you have – and those are just a few. I'm not saying that all the other guys were passengers. But specifically, those three guys stick out of my mind, contrasting to Antonio and Chicharito and Maseraku at the same time. It's like it shows in stark relief of just how poor those guys' efforts were when you have these other guys giving it their all and trying to make it happen throughout the game. And we haven't even got to the real game changer, which was the double switch, because when Lucas Perez and Arnautovic came on, that brought us to a whole different level, and those guys were off the pitch. You know, you're exactly right. It, it, it is. I've been eating a lot of crow, I think, recently, because at the beginning of the season, I thought to myself with Robert Snodgrass, you know, there's no way he's even going to see himself in to this side, or maybe even the bench for that matter. And uh, the dude's shown heart. He's fought his way back, and uh, there's nobody else that I really want out there besides him and Declan Rice and, and, and Grady Diangana right now. Um, yeah, it's absolutely, to me, it was ridiculous. And like I said to you guys before, I didn't get to actually watch the match, so I had to go do a couple researches on uh, you know some recaps and some reviewed articles and whatnot. But just reading into that and looking into that, it looked like a lot of players standing around, just kind of out there, just kind of out there taking their own time and, and, and not really having any heart or focus in the match, which I don't get. You know, I, and I don't get it at all. Like you said, maybe it is because it's just a cup game. But my thought process is we need to perform well in these cup matches because right now in the Premier League itself, it's not going well. So take advantage of this. Take advantage of a Spurs team that was kind of down a few players and didn't have their best starting 11 out there and they really just underperformed um talking about eating crow i guess i ate crow with chicharito too because i've wanted i've wanted him for years and then we finally bring him in and you know unless he's got like you know supporting cast of 11 all-stars around him it doesn't seem like he i don't know if he doesn't perform or I, i don't know what's going on but yeah he just he's disappointing week in and week out every time he comes on the pitch um so yeah, a lot of in my my regards, a lot of Eden Crow, and but it's good to see the youth, and it's good to see Snodgrass has come back to life, and hopefully other players can kind of latch onto that and go with it. But in my opinion, you know, if you're gonna have heart and you're gonna play with the heart and the passion, then start. And if you're not, I don't care how much money you're worth or what your name is, if you're not gonna perform, then you shouldn't be out there playing. You know, that's a great point, and it brings me back to two things. One was the first piece I ever wrote for Green Street Hammers earlier this summer was kind of a reset from where the club had come from through David Moyes and the relegation battle last year and then heading into this this year. And it brings me also back to David Moyes' very first press conference when he was appointed manager about a year ago now. Actually, it was late mm-hmm. October of last year. And he said this, and I believe, Jeremiah, it goes exactly to what you just said, which is 
you know, and he said it in his Scottish accent, which was awesome. But he said, if you don't <laughs> run, don't play. And if you don't track back, you don't play. Because there was a lot of talk at the time with Billich is that, you know, he, he was kind of a country club atmosphere. He wasn't really enforcing the guys to you know, that we weren't in shape. We weren't running and, and all this. We had the fewest sprints in the Premier League and, and all that. And, and so Moyes was basically saying, if you don't run, you're not going to play. And I think we're in the same position now with Pellegrini. I feel differently about Pellegrini and I feel differently about where the club is now versus last October when Moyes took over. But I think the same thing holds true. If these guys don't want to run or they can't run because they're not fit or they can't play the full 90 or whatever the case may be, then they should sit. And I don't think they should make the bench. You know, we, we have too many other guys and the competition throughout the squad is what's going to make the entire squad better. And I saw someone tweet about this this morning and I agree with it 100%. I think what the match shows yesterday is that while I feel much better about our first 11, and I think our first 11 is better than it was last year, I don't necessarily think that our cover positions are any better than they have been over the last year or two. But more than anything, if these guys don't want to run and they can't track back, then get them out of there and let's give someone a chance who will at least give the effort. And I realize that effort isn't everything because if it's just a bunch of action and activity but you're not ever really accomplishing anything, then it's pointless. But I think the eye test is the eye test, and I and I think that holds true to where we are right now. And I think Pellegrini has an opportunity to make some changes going into this game Saturday uh, to kind of show that and to show the rest of the team that. Because in any organization, everybody's looking around at everybody else, and if there's not accountability there, we're all human beings. You go, well, gosh, if that guy didn't have to do it, I don't have to either. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a bad attitude to have. And I'm not saying we're there yet, but I want to see how he approaches this match and how he approaches it with some of these guys whose effort was severely lacking yesterday. And you brought up running, and I think it's important that uh, that we go back to that just, just for, for one person's sake. And it's someone who uh, is getting swept under the rug and as far as mentions are going um, for having a good match. Uh, but that is uh, Ryan Fredericks. He started over Zabaleta because Zabaleta probably was on ice this entire time going from game to game at his age. Uh, but he's been so amazing uh, since coming or since regaining his starting position. But Ryan Fredericks played a really, really solid match. He, To me, he played with such speed going forward, uh, combined with Grady Diangana as well, that it was – I was playing a game. When, they, when those two would have the ball and the camera would sort of pan down the screen and stop, when the camera stopped, they would count the seconds between the camera stop and when Antonio would catch up on the opposite side of the pitch – and it would be like five seconds, four seconds. And the players are like, Diangana's looking across the ball and, and no one's there because uh, the striker's Chicharito. He's not going to beat anyone on a header. And then Antonio, the actual guy who's physical, can run and jump, is just not up to not up to speed at the, of the game. So I think Fredericks got kind of brushed under the rug, but this was a massive positive step for him going forward here. I think that's true. And you know what? When we were coming into the season and we had all these signings, Fredericks was one that I was actually pretty excited about. And I think it speaks well to him, his effort yesterday, and I think he deserves more of a chance. I also do think uh, it speaks to Zabaleta and his performance throughout this year is that we just can't get him off the pitch. I mean, he's been playing so great. He's the ageless wonder. And so part of that was, you know, Fredericks had some time to adjust to the Premier League, and he made a few mistakes here and there. But partly was, I think, a credit to Zabaleta to what I was talking about before. When there's competition for all those positions – a guy like Zabaleta, who's a seasoned veteran with skins on the wall, understands that, and his game has risen because of it. But that's what needs to happen to all these guys, not just Zabaleta. All right, I'm going to stop us there. We're going to just take a quick break here from some sponsors real quick, and we'll be back just to finish out talking about the Spurs match and sort of the uh, the fallout from that. But uh, stick with us here on the Green Street Hammers podcast. 
All right, we're back and still kind of wallowing in the pity and self-doubt that came after the Spurs game. Uh, and a, sort of a big topic is is Hart and who's up to play and who wants to play for West Ham at this time. Uh, do you think that there's like a lack of, of a fire being lit under these players' asses this early in the season right now? Yeah, I think there absolutely is, you know, and it's uh, it's no doubt that Scott's sick, you know. I'm sure he has the flu, but I was sure after watching at least last night's game that uh, – it made me sick anyway, but um, getting back into it, like you said, lighting a fire under someone's asses, you know, I'll go all the way back to last season to the Burnley match when everything was chaotic and fans were coming on the pitch and it was, Oh no, we're going to get relegated. We have this brand new stadium, this massive deals. And all of a sudden we're going to be relegated back to the championship. And then you really saw the players kind of step up like an Oh crap factor. And you saw that last week against Leicester when we went down 10 men just before the half of, oh, crap, we need to come together, and you saw it perform. But then something happens on Wednesday night and a lot of other games this season to where there's just not that there. They're just out playing a game, running around, you know, and I don't want to turn this into the negative <laughs> podcast, but it's just really been negative. You do? All right, we can keep that. <laughs> but to me, it was just so negative seeing it, and – I hate the fact that there has to be a fire under someone's ass to get them to work and to get them to actually play and have passion for this club, especially this club with the history and the passion that is behind its fans and the players and how we all kind of feed off of each other. It's just really depressing, honestly, for me to see that right now. Can I put out a uh, something to watch for for all of us and for listeners of this podcast and West Ham supporters, and, and that is let's all watch for what happens not only this week but one of the things that was missing yesterday, and we haven't even really touched on it outside of the fact that he got the red card, is, you know, our captain wasn't out there. And mm -hmm. you know, I love Mark that you're no bringing this up. Mark Noble is a guy that people, just like Zabaleta, right? But Mark Noble is our own. I mean, he got a, he, he, he got a testimonial, for gosh sake. He's Mr. West Ham. When he's not on the pitch, regardless of what the supporters want to say about this was his best game, he was man of the match, this was a terrible game, he's being overrun. When he is out there, he leads. He holds players accountable. And so yesterday, he was not on the pitch. He's not going to be there this Saturday, and he's not going to be there next Saturday. So I'm saying to to all of us here and, and listeners and fans, let's watch for this now because all the things we're talking about, heart and passion and wanting to play for the badge and everything that we've said goes right back to our leader was not on the pitch, and he is missed. And I think it's going to be very curious. Look, I'm, I'm, I've said this many times on, on this podcast I'm not about moral victories and, and all those kind of things, but it'll be an interesting side story to watch over the next two matches now as he sits out three games to see how the team reacts and responds, who wears the armband, and who out there is going to drag these guys forward like Noble would. No, you're right. And I wrote an article, I guess it's been a couple months ago now, like when Mark Noble plays, West Ham seems to win, or at least you know has that moral victory that you hate to talk about, Jeff. But... Um, <laughs> But you're absolutely right. And other than him, you have Zabaleta. As much as I love Arnautovic, you know, he has potential, but I don't see a whole lot of leadership, to me anyway. I and mean, we can maybe debate on that, but I don't see a whole lot of leadership coming from him. Um, other than that's out there, I don't see a lot right now. We have a very, I guess, young squad in some ways, younger squad, new squad, and there's just not a lot of leadership. And, and you're absolutely right, Jeff. I think that that is going to be something to watch because – it could be it could be a chance for somebody to step up, or it could be horrific. I know Halloween's over, but uh, there could still be some terrors going on. 
Hammers. Well, one of the things I actually I posted an article today on Green Street Hammers that's called West Ham Need to Axe Passenger Players. And one of the three, I'll give a little peek sneak preview spoiler here, is or was uh, Adrian. And Adrian had the armband in this match, and I assume it's because he's the longest serving West Ham player, but. It's a, it's, I know teams do it, but he's not Gigi Buffon. He's not Hugo Lloris when he has it on. So Adrian can't even command his own area on a corner kick. So why is he allowed to captain the team on the field? I, no one seems to have an answer for that question. He is so unsettled. He's so indecisive when balls are in the air. He comes out very rarely. When he does, it's 50-50 whether he's even going to get to the ball, let alone catch it or put it to safety. Uh, he did, he wasn't really at fault for any three goals. It's still amazing that I can say with certainty he played terribly yesterday. He threw the ball twice to the opposition in between the center backs and midfielders, kicked the ball out of possession twice, gave uh, gave suicide passes to Issa Diop at the sideline with two attackers on him multiple times. He does nothing right anymore, and it's heartbreaking. And he's he's been such a good servant. He's been amazing. He scored in that he scored in that. Uh, in that cup game against Everton, all those things, sure, 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 they're all memories, but West Ham kind of need to cut ties with the past and sort of get onto this Pellegrini game plan, which is why I think he wanted three years to set his plan in motion. But Adrian, to me, just doesn't have it anymore. And I think he's got one foot out the door. Get rid of him in January. I mean, if you have to pay to get rid of him, do it as far as I'm concerned. Um, But when you look at the team, he had the armband, and to me that makes no sense. Uh, I think this was a perfect opportunity that was missed, and I'm not critical of Pellegrini often, but I think he missed an opportunity to give it to Declan Rice. He's been the constant of players that are on the pitch there that have been on the Premier League team uh, outside of Issa Diop, and he is the heir apparent to Mark Noble's armband. We all know that, and with Zabaleta not on the pitch, uh, having the armband be in the midfield where you can actually talk to the referee, get out, protect your players, it'd be and, and not be a Premier League match, uh, it would give him the opportunity to sort of step into that role. And he would probably take his game to an even higher level if he had that armband on him, just for the, you know, the, the, the mystique around it all and the importance of being a team captain. I agree with you 100%. Should have happened. Yeah, I don't know why I even thought about it. I think I, when I was watching the recap, I just thought, like you were talking about, Adam, oh, oh Adrian has it because he's been out there the longest. He's been with the club the longest. But, yeah, what a missed opportunity. And, and I don't want to get into the Declan Rice saga, but, man, this club really needs to step it up or somebody else will. And uh, something I wanted to bring up here, maybe we can we can stop about this uh, awful match after this. Um, <laughs> it was brought up earlier by Jeff, and, and that was the – uh, double switch of Arnautovic and Perez on and Obiang and Chicharito off that sort of changed the complexion of the game. Um, Arnautovic was playing up the right-hand side and Perez was up the left side in that striker duo. And what basically happened was Arnautovic started playing with Grady D and Ghana extremely closely and even with Ryan Fredericks as well because they were all flying up that side of the pitch. It didn't matter that Arnautovic just came on. It didn't matter that Fredericks had played an hour and, and Diangana had played an hour already. They were all flying because they could feel something changed. And I'm really happy that Lucas Perez got that goal in the back post. We haven't even talked about the one goal West Ham <laughs> scored. Uh, of course, it was off of a Snodgrass corner who is obviously... So I think the, the pecking order for corners goes Jack Wilshere, Robert Snodgrass, one or two interchangeable there and then Aaron Cresswell, and then Felipe Anderson. Uh, You're not getting an argument for me on that. 
Yeah, I, I think that that's sort of the way it's played out when everyone's been healthy, knock on wood. Actually, it, there's no point. They're already injured anyways. Uh, so uh, he, he played that ball perfectly. I mean, Tottenham, their keeper made some great saves, but he's their third choice keeper. He wasn't clearly uh, all too great at claiming balls in the air. And one went right by him and Perez knocked it down on the back post. I think that is the push that he needs to basically say, okay, so when, when Arnautovic is tired and has to come off, I'm the guy that comes on now. Chicharito, no. Antonio, no. Now I'm the guy. I'm scoring for this team. I came out there. I ran my legs off. I actually put one in. I think, anyways, now, it should be sort of clear. And also, Pellegrini brought him in. Chicharito was inherited. Antonio was inherited. I think Perez, he doesn't play the same style as Arnautovic. Nobody really does. But that has to be the guy moving forward as second striker. I think that's a good observation, and I would say, look, and I, I agree with what Jeremiah said a few minutes ago in the last segment, which is I'm not Team Antonio anymore, and I've made that pretty clear. I think he's a one-trick pony now, and that's unfortunate. But you know what? It's almost the fact that Antonio is better as a second-choice or third-choice striker than he is out on the wing or as another forward out wide because, like yesterday, he didn't know what he was doing. And I think if he can play center forward – centrally and he just goes hard and he's trying to create havoc and he brings the defenders to him and it opens up something else for somebody else that's fine but he, he can't finish he has nothing no skill at all but it's like i would almost rather see him in that position than out wide ever ever again and then that pushes chicharito even farther down that pecking order and i agree with jeremiah there too i, I wanted chicharito look being in texas we see the Mexican national team a lot. Mexican national team has played in a stadium five minutes from my house. I know all about this guy and knew all about him even before West Ham signed him. And there was rumors several years ago. I was excited to see him. And it's just he's gotten worse and worse and worse every single month that he's been here. And I'm disappointed in that. But it's like if Arnautovic is first team striker and then Perez and Antonio are behind him and Chicharito, there's no spot for Chicharito at all on this team anymore. No, that's that's a fair that's a fair assessment there, and he, he's a luxury player. And I think that I've talked about this before, and maybe this can sort of lead us out of this match and into some more uh, transfer talk or whatever we want to call it. But Chicharito, he has value. Actually, how about this? I'm gonna I'm gonna pull up a tweet here. I'm all over the place. I'm sorry, guys. I'm, I, I'll pull up a tweet, and it was from uh, Smokey Jones, I believe. Someone we're all uh, familiar with the name and, and the long hair on Twitter. Um, <laughs> And it was about uh, it was about West Ham's strikers, and he was of the belief that basically West Ham's uh, West Ham's issues with striker come down to the fact that uh, let me just look up the, the notifications here that or this specific one was basically uh, his tweet was I love how people are writing off Hernandez, but still praise slash want Carroll. Uh, in Carroll's best year for us, he scored nine. Chicha had eight last season. I feel he needs a good run of matches for confidence. Um, there were some emojis thrown in, but he, he, he quoted us because I think we've talked about him too much in, in recent recent weeks. But uh, my response to this, and let me know what you guys think of this as well, uh, just because we're on Chicharito now, is I think the difference is Carroll scores when he plays and Chicharito hasn't taken his chances. Also, Carroll's contract's up at the end of the season, and there's still name value on moving Chicharito now. And to expand on that in more than the 280 characters I'm allowed on Twitter, Carroll is a player you can't rely on. But when he's in the when he's in the team, he'll get goals. He'll he'll score you two and he'll break his ankle. He'll score a bicycle kick and he'll pull a muscle in his back. That's what you're going to get with him. His contract's up. He's not a player that I think Pellegrini wants to have on this team anymore. So there's no point in 
in sort of talking about getting rid of him because he'll be gone at season's end anyways. So the praising and wanting Carroll is that we want Carroll on the pitch and we praise him because he will score when he's on the pitch. Writing off Hernandez is all but a certain thing. He played 28 games last year and scored eight goals. This is the fox in the box guy that, that everyone's so high on. This is the guy who led the line at Manchester United and at Real Madrid. I just don't see it in him anymore. When he went and played for Mexico at the World Cup as well, he he was crying on the pitch after the game. He was so emotional. He was making tackles. He was tracking back. He doesn't do any of that for West Ham. He sits on no. the edge of the box and prays that a ball comes to him. And then when one did, even in this match, it went off his stomach and rolled to the keeper because he had no control on it. So yeah, it looks awful. I, 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 I get what everyone's saying because people are tired with, with the, old, the whole Carroll saga of him never being fit and i'm tired of that too but there's no point talking about him anymore because he's gonna be gone at the end of the season most likely but i think chicharito should be gone before that yeah no i think you're right and uh yeah sorry go ahead man no go ahead go ahead no i was gonna say i think you're right you know we can't rely on in my opinion either one of them to score you know you said andy carroll will score when he does play but we can't rely on either one and it is that's the thing the driving disappointment to me is watching highlights of Chicharito play with other clubs, with Real Madrid, with Man United, even when he was in the Bundesliga. You know, he had fire and he had passion, and he does. That's his you know, nickname, and he just plays in the box, and that's what he does, but that's his game, and it works. But then watch him in, with Mexico, even not even the World Cup. You watch him a lot when you live in the States. You just kind of have a thing you want to watch Mexico play, and he's always played differently. He tracks back. He plays with heart. He plays with passion. He looks like he's out there to actually win the game. And when you watch him in matches for West Ham, it just looks like he's not all in. It's like he's almost gone. In his mind, he's already not there. And that's to me, that's the disappointing factor. To me, both of them, you know, I think Smokey's right. You know, we can't really rely on either one of them. Um, and, you know, I don't know what the difference is. Maybe he does need more confidence. But the guy should have confidence. The guy, like you said, that led the line for world-class teams like those two. You know, he should already have that confidence to play. And it's just a disappointing factor that he, I think, is no longer in it. I think one of the things that we are talking about here is goal scoring and who can and who can't score. And I think that brings up a bigger issue. And it's something that I've really looked at here over the last couple of weeks. And I wanted to bring it up because it kind of segues into whether we're talking about Chicharito or Antonio or Carroll when he's fit, Marco Arnautovic is really the only reliable goal scorer this team has right now. And so when Pellegrini came in, the whole idea was we're going to play attacking football and the style of play is going to be the West Ham way and we're going to do this and that. And, and I'm happy that we've shored up our defending. But guys, look back at our games. Since the last month, we have scored exactly one goal in all these matches or we've scored none. We've only scored three goals in a Premier League match twice this entire year. And we haven't scored three since September. And I mean, look, we, we were shut out at Brighton. We were shut out against Spurs the first time. We scored one goal against Leicester. We scored one goal yesterday. Um, before that, we had a scoreless draw with Chelsea. And it, that, to me, is the bigger concern because it seems obvious. But if you can't score and you don't have players that can score, we're not going to win. And that's going to be a problem. And so I'm really concerned with where this goal scoring has gone. And, yeah, we scored eight in a league 
cup game that doesn't matter anymore because we're out of it now. But it's like, where are these goals coming from? If Marco Arnautovic is not creating and not scoring, I can remember one goal from Anderson. I can remember, I think, one other one from Snodgrass. I know Balbuena scored off the header. But it's like, if we can remember the individual goal scorers on our club this point of the season, we're in trouble because we're not scoring enough, period. Yeah, that's a fair point, man. That's a really fair point. And something I, I want to jump to here, and it's um, it, it goes along with this idea of being light in attacking. Um, you guys are both familiar with Sam Ankersel. Uh, I think I'm saying that right. Uh, he is a West Ham reporter for football.com, I believe. Uh, yeah. or .co. And uh, he's really, really great with all the West Ham news and the, the live updates he does. Uh, if I'm, I'm sure literally anyone listening to this podcast already follow him, so there's no need for me to sort of introduce everyone to him. But he said after the game, uh, he said, Pellegrini says Felipe Anderson was only going to play 45 minutes tonight and he will play on Saturday. Um, this was replied to by Gio Mackey, someone who may need an introduction. He hosts uh, the Hammers Chat uh, cup of tea with him and Gonzo. Really great guy uh, as far as all of the uh, internet presence goes for West Ham. Really interactive. And I like, I like the content that they put out there at Hammers Chat. So uh, he responded to this say, saying, this is a problem to be honest. Why has why was Anderson already starting on Saturday before we kicked off last night? His performance reflected that, he, his performance reflected that too many assuming their places are guaranteed. Now, I don't disagree with I mean, judging by this podcast, I don't disagree with anybody. But in reality, I don't disagree with a lot of what Gio says. Um, but this is one I don't technically understand. He didn't – so his job – and this is the give and take with Anderson. Let, let me just sort of go off on a little diatribe here. His job is to attack. He is an attacker. Now, he was trying to do that, and everyone says, well, he's not coming back enough. So he gets drilled on in, in training, focuses on tracking back. They play in a 10-man match where he played well tracking back down that wing. And then he plays the first 45 minutes in this game, which I think is smart. Um, he's the marquee signing for this team this year. He needs to play. He showed that he can play, score, assist, all that. So he just needs time to, to do it on a more regular basis. So get him 45 minutes in. Save yourself having to start someone out of position on that side for too long. And basically, just give yourself that... Uh, that little breathing room of staying in game shape, but also not getting too tired for the weekend's game. Uh, and he also tracked back well in that he, he went forward well, although it was a little bit disjointed. Uh, and I don't know. I just, I think that everyone wants this guy to do everything perfectly when he's, he's not, he's not a, one of those box to box players. He's going to be a patchy attacking player. He's not Dimitri Payet, which everyone's, everyone keeps commenting on Dimitri Payet and Felipe Anderson together in the same sentence. Uh, you gotta let the pass go here, guys. Who are trying to draw that conclusion, saying they don't look anything like each other? Yeah, of course they don't look anything like each other. Like that, they're, they're different players. I don't know what to tell you about that, but uh, I don't, I don't like the criticism Anderson's getting and how public it's all becoming as well. Uh, people talking about him, you know, getting drilled and training on tracking back. Well, if you be careful what you wish for, because all of a sudden you can have the most impactful forward that tracks back. But he's going to do nothing for you going forward because he's too scared of criticism to jump up in the play for for the opportunity to go the other way and him not be back. So I would just say let's all exhale on Felipe Anderson. He's going to start every game he's fit. He's, he costs 40 million pounds. There's a reason why he costs that much. He He's a good player. He's an attacking player. He's a player that can create offense. So because the rest of the team's tragic right now. It, I don't think it should all be focused on the guy with the biggest price tag. He didn't He didn't pick that point. And also, my last thing, and you guys can let, let me know your thoughts on all this. Scott brought up a very important point, and that was there's no reason to play Felipe Anderson in a number 10 position 
because when Lanzini's back long term, that's going to be his position. Behind the striker, shifty kind of puppeteer in the middle. Play him on the left. Let him get comfortable there. Let him sort of understand the Premier League from that side. Of course, he gets switched for his first 45 minutes to the center of the pitch. That's not his position. I know people are saying, oh, he, he looked good there that one game. For one half of one game, he looked okay there. Like, keep him on the wing. Just give him some consistency. That's all I think he needs. Yeah, I think that's good. I thought that was a really good point. And, and I think, you know, who knows what – that's the thing with Pellegrini right now is I just don't feel like that I, as a fan and as a supporter and as an interested, you know, serious observer, I don't really think I understand enough from him what he's trying to accomplish in these matches, you know, using a league cup for something else or if he's trying to get a player into a different role for a specific reason because we just don't hear enough from him, in my opinion. But I think those are all really good points. And I think you're right about one thing, too. He's cost 40 million pounds, and he's going to play. If he's fit, he's out there because guess what? The next time he doesn't play and he's fit, then what are the supporters going to say? Oh, my God, we paid 40 million pounds for a guy who can't even get on the pitch. So he can't win, right? No. He's going to play. You could take any other sport and any other analogy, whether it's you know NFL football or the NBA. If you trade or pay a free agent to come to your club and it's a marquee signing, he's going to play period and that you're going to have to live with the growing pains for sure and i think you're right the, the support around him needs to be more consistent and better yeah i think you're right he can't do it on his own and i'm sick and tired of hearing the the comparisons between between him and dimitri payet you know we just have to let that go as much as i loved dimitri payet and i was very upset when it happened and then you see him now and how he's playing now it's it's heartbreaking it truly is you know but we have to let the past be the past and let that go and you know, I agree with what Scott said and what you were just talking about, Adam. You know, moving him to that number 10 role, I think there's no time for that. You keep him on the wing, let him get comfortable on the wing. You know, and, and I, owe, I owe him, and I think maybe we, we might all owe him an apology. You know, he did learn. He got better at tracking back against Leicester because he had to. He was forced to, but he looked good at that. He looked okay last night, you know. But like you said, Jeff, he's never going to win because – with the record signing that he has been, you know, we all expect the moon and it's just not going to happen. And, you know, I think give him time, let him play. Cause he's going to play, you know, you're not going to put anybody else in there and, but keep him on that wing and let him get comfortable out there. And everyone else has to step up their game or find somebody that will. Yeah. And I think that's a good point to unceremoniously end our discussions on this awful game and the fallout from it. Uh, we'll be back in a second to talk the upcoming Burnley match. All right, we're back for the final segment here, and we're talking the upcoming match for West Ham, which is the uh, Premier League match on Saturday morning for me and you guys. Uh, and I think it's 3 p.m. for everyone in bloody old England. And that is with Burnley, uh, or we could appropriately call it the return of Joe Hart. Uh, this will be an interesting match. Burnley achieved uh, – actually, Burnley had that kind of a season that was reminiscent of West Ham's final season at the Bolin. You overachieve. You have players playing out of their minds. You you get to you get to Europe and then you go out in a blazing fury at the beginning, and then you're sitting at the bottom of the league after that. Um, they've sort of tightened things up a little bit since then. Let me just pull up the table here. So yeah, Burnley are just sitting two spots under West Ham, tied for points but on goal differential are below us. Um, I do think on paper last year we had a better team than than them, and this year we have a better team than them. So. Um, what are our thoughts? Are we feeling positive about this one going into it here? 
Well, let's start with the the last time we faced Burnley, which was last March 10th at Olympic Stadium, and that was, I think we would all agree, the low point in the West Ham <laughs> campaign last year where we had pitch invaders and flag plantings and throwing uh, coins. Stands. We were throwing coins. We were shouting down the chairman and Trevor Brooking in the stands, and Mark Noble had to come out and call for peace, and there was going to be protests and all the rest. So tomorrow is going to be, or excuse me, Saturday is going to be interesting from that regard and against that whole backdrop. And you're right, we're better than them. And I, I keep thinking the same thing each week with West Ham is, can this be the week where we score more than one goal? Can this be the week where we get off on the front foot and start building something from here? Because we've had a couple really good performances against Everton and Man U. We haven't been able to really back them up. And I guess Chelsea, the draw against Chelsea was was big at the time as well. I just don't feel like that we've been able to really back any of those performances up with any consistency. And that's what I'm looking for here. Um, and it would be fantastic to get that going and to get some confidence brewing because our next run of games is a real big opportunity for the club to start building from here and getting out of this mid-table, lower half of the table kind of malaise that we've been in really for the last 12 to 16 months. I completely agree. You know, we are on paper the better team. You know, we're two points or two spots ahead, um, not two points. But at the same time, it could go one of two ways. Like you said, I'd love to see, you know, us get more than one goal, preferably three, maybe four, if we're feeling fancy. Hey, uh, just, just shoot but, to Joe Hart's left-hand side. And he'll hey, put eight yeah. past them. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Um, and, you know, the return of Joe Hart, you know, like you said, he, he's kind of had a Joe Hart season as of late to me. You know, I think he started out good. I kind of followed – a little bit just to see how he would play and uh kind of watched i didn't really watch but i guess follow a little bit and you know he started out okay to me but really as of late had the good start of the season and then typical joe hart came out with the left side kind of being vacant and uh, available for goals and uh it's kind of fell off the match since then so really to me this could go one of two ways like i said i'd love to see three or four goals going in if possible that would make all of us especially jeff really happy <laughs> and uh <laughs> And then also with that, or it could be really boring. You know, if we don't get the offense going, like we just talked about for the last 45 minutes, you know, it could be a really just kind of boring 90 minutes of play. So to me, it could go one of two ways. We have the potential there, but I don't think it's going to be lost the last time we played Burnley, especially at home, and all of that stuff happened, um, like you had mentioned, Jeff. So I think that comes into play. The return of Joe Hart might come into play. But really, is the offense going to step up is what I'm curious to watch. And who's going to step up as the leader could be another thing. Who's going to have the armband? Yeah, good, good, good. I think good talking points you brought up there. Something I will say that I'm worried about uh, about this game is that regardless of their opponents, Burnley set up the same for every game. They play 4-4-1-1 or 4-4-2, usually with an attacking midfielder with Hendrick up there and and Vokes up top or Woods or or Wood or... uh, or any of their other striker options. Uh, Ashley Barnes, I think, is one of them as well. Uh, so they they play this really tight, drilled, packed midfield and back line. And they have they have players like uh, their center backs, Tarkowski and me, are really solid players. And then their midfielders, Cork, DeFore, Goodmanson, Brady, Lennon, when he's in, uh, they, all, they all play a role really well. And to me, that is uh, something West Ham has been lacking for sure, but it's something that... Uh, is almost envious because you know what you're going to get out of those players week after week after week. They play the same way. They have a job to do, and they do that job to the best of their abilities. And West Ham can sort of fall into a trap of 
attacking and getting repelled and attacking, getting repelled, attacking, getting repelled. And all of a sudden the ball, you know, they win a corner kick and then the ball goes up in the air in the box and Sam Vokes heads it in. So they play a really drilled and reserved game. West Ham need to show teeth in their attack. And basically when they get a chance, take it. There should be some, uh, some sort of, I don't, I don't want to say moral victory again, but like mental victory over scoring on Joe Hart and beating Burnley after last year just to show that improvement, right? Yes. I think there needs to be something <laughs> there. Um, do we have any... We'll, we'll, we'll get our score predictions uh, together in an article on Green Street Hammers, but if we're looking at this game right now, how are we feeling score-wise? Do we have the gall to predict a clean sheet for West Ham? Oh, wow. That's a, you, you turned, put me on the spot there because I was thinking about it from the West Ham goal-scoring perspective and two popped into my head. So I'm going to say, yes, we could keep a clean sheet and let's be super optimistic coming off the heels of that Spurs uh, League Cup match yesterday and call this maybe a two-to-nil West Ham victory and we're all going to be feeling great about ourselves again. That's how I'd like to see it play out. And I think, <laughs> you know, Jeremiah, you're right. More than anything is let's not have a boring 90 minutes. We're at home. This is a team that we're better than. This is a team that we're better than in most positions on the pitch. Which one of their starting 11 would make our starting 11? Let's go into this thing with some intent. And that, you know, that is one thing with Pellegrini, I will say. Unlike David Moyes specifically, and sometimes Billich and certainly Big Fat Sam, we go into these matches with intent. He does not really seem to think that we're going to go into these match matches and immediately park the bus or play for the draw or all these kind of things. So I'll give him credit for that, and I would expect – that that's the situation. The question is going to be, to your point, Adam, is, is Burnley is very well drilled. They're tight. They're compact. They pack the midfield. Are we going to be able to find a way to break through that with the players that we have available? And are they going to be able to do that to the tune of scoring enough to come out of there with the full three points? And that's what I'm going to be interested to see. Yeah, I think, too, uh, you know, our defense, at least the starting defense that we've had, the back four, maybe three out of those back four have been playing really, really well. And I, to me, that's something we can't say at West Ham that we've seen in at least a little while. So the fact that that's playing well, Fabianski's lights out. He's playing really, really well. You know, is the offense going to show up? Are we going to score? Um, 2-0 is not. I don't think it's naive to say that. Uh, I could see maybe a 2-1. Something slips in. You know, we get a little lackadaisical somewhere around the end of the game or maybe somewhere at the end of the first half which kind of seems to be the West Ham way as of recent. But, yeah, I think a 2-0 or a 2-1, you know, you see Arnie come in. Uh, I don't know where the other one would come from right, right now, so that's going to be a surprise. But either way, that would be good to see. Yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna throw out a 2-1. I wanted to say 1-1, but I'm going to be positive here. And like you said, I think Arnautovic will get one. The amount of chances he created in such little time on the pitch against Spurs was impressive. Uh, and I think he's going to – He's going to put one in, but I think Anderson's going to, and I think it's going to be like a monkey off the back sort of goal. Mm -hmm. um, I do think that West Ham's still vulnerable uh, when it comes to set pieces. Uh, they've looked really, really good on them, but the vulnerable part is whoever Mazuaku is covering, whether he be on the back post or whether he be actually marking a man, is going to be a weak spot for the team. So I think that they could, there could be an attack through that left-hand side. Uh, that left back side rather. Um, so I, I, I'll give them one there. And I think maybe even someone like Sam Vokes or Chris Wood, if he plays, they're tall, they're physical guys that can just bully people outside of Issa Diop and Balbuena who tend to not take any crap from anybody in the, in the, in the box. Uh, I think that you could see 
a sneaky one go through. They don't necessarily have the speed to counterattack uh, a team like West Ham, who has like Issa Diop's strides. He can cover the whole pitch in like 16 strides, I think. So uh, he, he did that against Hyunmin Sun really well at the end of the match, and I think he'll be ready to go. And he's sort of playing for that own personal pride, which is really good. And, and really motivating, especially you hear links of PSG swooping in for 50 million for him. So, you know, he obviously wants to keep his level of play high, and I think he will. Um, yeah, I, I think 2-1's respectable. I'd love to see 4-0 uh, West Ham go out there and just sort of impose their will on Joe Hart. Uh, they know. They trained with him. They, they know all the ways to put a, a goal by him. But, I mean, we know how to do that too. Usually one on net and follow up your shot tends to be a pretty solid plan. Because he doesn't have the most sturdy hands. Uh, so, we'll see. It'll be interesting. I'll be tense. I'll be nervous because, like you guys said, this is an important match. But something we, for, for the for the run of games behind it, but something we also need to look at is Burnley have allowed nine goals in their last two league matches. Granted, they were against Chelsea and Man City, but we shut out Chelsea. And we haven't played Man City yet. They are on the docket soon for us. But, uh, yeah, that's, I mean, five goals. Five goals is five goals. Depend, it doesn't really matter who your opponent is. Um, that's embarrassing. So, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm positive. We should. We'll I think a, we we'll keep have it a positive. positive. Yeah, we will. I think I think that's what we need to do going into the league uh, after the match against Spurs and was so disappointing. The best way to put that behind us is to feel good about the way things shape up on Saturday. Totally. Yeah, we got to keep it positive and keep the faith a little bit. And uh, you know, I, I remember watching. You brought up a funny point with Joe Hart, how they uh, know to score on him. I remember last year watching some training videos during the week, and uh, you know they would just they would pepper him in that, and he he doesn't have good hands, so that might be a good point to kind of ride on. And hopefully, you know Arnie or somebody will get the ball in net. He'll stop it, but he's not going to hold on to it, and someone else can follow up. So we'll keep uh, we'll keep positive for now. I'll be nervous. I'll be tense. I'll be at work, but I'm going to be watching for sure. <laughs> Yeah, I'll, I'll find a way as well. I think I got a wedding that day, so we'll find a way. Whether Too many it's weddings going or not. on in your, in your world. Man, right? everyone's <laughs> getting married. At mid-20s, watch out for it. it it's, it's been enlightening for me to see the amount of people that are getting married. Uh, anyways, we'll, we'll, we'll end on that note there. Uh, as I mentioned before, I'm deep into Christmas music, so that's how I'll be filling my time between now and that game. Uh, for myself and Jeff and Jeremiah and the sick and injured Scott, Thank you guys for listening to the Green Street Hammers podcast, and we'll be back to talk to you guys next week. Talk to you then. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 
Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.